Andrew Myron was inspecting the dark storeroom of the dilapidated Los Angeles cafeteria he had recently purchased when he thought he saw a faint light radiating from behind one of the walls. Curious, he turned off his flashlight, then started picking away at the wall. The light grew brighter, and eventually Myron tore away the whole thing, revealing six rows of neon tubes, as functional and bright as they had been the day they were installed. 77 years earlier, in 1935. The lights had never been turned off at all. They were hooked directly into the electrical system, with no power switch. During renovations in 1949, for some unknown reason, workers simply walled up the neon lights and never disconnected the electricity. They just kept humming along as the decades rolled by. It's uncommon for glass tubes and metal transformers to last that long, but that reliability is pretty characteristic for neon itself. In stark contrast to fluorine, neon is the single most unreactive element on the periodic table. It combines with nothing, not even itself, like nitrogen and oxygen can. Neon atoms remain solitary and pure and if you run an electrical current through them, they'll glow brightly. There is a light that never goes out in Clifton's cafeteria thanks to the stability of neon. And the fact that, over all those years, somebody paid the grand total of $17,000 in electric bills. You're listening to the Episodic Table of Elements, and I'm T.R. Appleton. Each episode, we take a look at the fascinating true stories behind one element on the periodic table. Today, we're getting excited about neon. If there's one thing most people know about neon, it's that it glows in electric signs. This was one of the first things its discoverers learned as well. William Ramsey and his assistant, Morris Travers, didn't need to turn to the spectroscope to discern the unique pattern of light given off by Element 10. Travers wrote about the experience, rather eccentrically, in the third person. As Ramsey pressed down the commutator of the induction coil, he and Travers each picked up one of the direct vision prisms, which always lay at hand on the bench, hoping to see in the spectrum of the gas in the tube some very distinctive lines, or groups of lines. But they did not need to use prisms, for the blaze of crimson light from the tube, quite unexpected, held them, for some moments, spellbound. Neon's nucleus is quite stable, but so is its electron configuration. So how does this happen? It's actually because of neon's electrical stability that it can perform this trick. Like all the noble gases, neon has a full valence shell, and it prefers to stay that way. As you probably know if you've listened to prior episodes, this is why neon doesn't bond with any other atoms. But if you take a tube of neon gas and pump it full of electrical energy, its valence electrons will jump into a shell farther out from the nucleus in what's called an excited state. 
but they can only stay there as long as the atom is getting pumped full of energy. After the briefest of moments, those electrons fall back into their original shell. But the energy the atom absorbed has to go somewhere, so it gets released as light. Imagine a bodybuilder lifting a heavy barbell over his head. This requires a lot of energy. Eventually, he'll get tired and need to drop the barbell. When he does, he grunts loudly and then relaxes. This is kind of analogous to what's going on inside a neon lamp. Millions and millions of strongman atoms getting pumped full of energy, then releasing that energy in dramatic fashion. This was the phenomenon Ramsey and Travers witnessed upon distilling the new element. And at the suggestion of Ramsey's 13-year-old son, Willie, they named it neon, from the Greek for new. That might seem rather short-sighted, since neon would only be the new one until the next element would inevitably be discovered. It seems like a particularly embarrassing oversight, since it was only three weeks later that Ramsey and Travers discovered another new element, xenon. But from another perspective, no other element deserves the name more, because element 10 may be the perfect symbol of modernity. Modernity is something more than the conventional meaning of modern as current or contemporary. It's the name given to a social movement that threw off the shackles of traditionalism. For most of human history, social roles were performed because that was the way it had always been done. It didn't matter if the king was good or bad at his job. He was the king. That's just the way things were. But there came a point in history when people started questioning whether that was enough of a reason to uphold old social norms. Increasingly, the answer was no. Feudalism gave way to market economies. Caste systems were eschewed in favor of class and individualism, and societies were increasingly urban, democratic, and mechanized. There's no clear start date for when modernity began. It describes a process as much as it describes an era. Some historians place the start of modernity as far back as Gutenberg's printing press, others at the start of the French Revolution. But there's no doubt that society was fully in the throes of modernity by the time Georges Claude started selling neon lamps in 1910. Claude unveiled his invention at the Paris Motor Show, and while he admitted neon's crimson light was less than ideal for illuminating the home, he thought it would be great for advertising. He could not have been more right. Neon was quickly embraced by commercial ventures of all sizes as a way to stand out from the crowd. A Packard car dealership made waves in Los Angeles when it mounted an enormous neon sign, causing nearby traffic to come to a standstill. The crimson blaze had quickly found its place among the cacophonous landscape of roaring combustion engines, skyscrapers stretching ever higher, and the revolutionary sights and sounds of cinema 
and jazz. Neon signs were a boon for businesses large and small, and eventually came to define the aesthetic of cities around the world, from Las Vegas to Havana to Tokyo, each in their own way. New York City's Times Square in particular became a monument to advertising in the medium of light. Some ads became world famous, the camel man who blew smoke rings, a hand pulling tissues from a Kleenex box, and a non-stop stream of planters' peanuts. But Neon's heyday didn't last long. Eventually, it was superseded by more durable fluorescent lights, which could backlight plastic sheets that weren't limited to a single color. Neon became more strongly linked with rundown bars and payday loan services. As Times Square became largely renowned for seedy sex shops in the 1970s, so too was Neon's reputation tarnished by association. Nowadays, LED signs dominate the street advertising industry. They don't require skilled craftsmanship to produce, and they use less electricity, making them cheaper both to purchase and operate. LEDs are actually brighter than neon lights, and they're essentially enormous video screens that can change their full-color displays in an instant, unlike the relatively static line art provided by a neon sign. Neon signs could be made in any shape or size, in garish colors that had never been used before. They were integral to the identities of new urban centers, but modernity has no sense of loyalty. As soon as neon was an established tradition of illumination and advertising, it became an expectation to defy. And a society so concerned with bottom lines and catching eyes has little sympathy for a craft so dependent on the skill and patience of talented artisans who can bend glass into intricate shapes. Neon lamps are far from extinct, but in 2018 it's clear that their best days are behind them. As they slowly disappear from shop windows and billboards, neon lights are increasingly relegated to art galleries and museums, places reserved for precious things that someone thought were worth preserving. Modernity's rallying cry, popularized by Ezra Pound, was Make it new! Element 10 did just that, to light itself, and even carried newness in its name. Even though the light in the glass tube may have dulled somewhat, neon will always be modern. You probably have a good idea of where you could procure some neon for your collection. And you certainly could purchase a luminous sign, but those are delicate and tend to take up a lot of space. Neon has actually popped up in several other displays over time. The world's first electronic calculator, the Anita, showed truly eye-catching neon numerals, one of the few examples of a retrofuturist aesthetic outside of fiction. These neon lights were called Nixie tubes, supposedly derived from their original name of Numeric Indicator Experimental Number 1. Other companies patented similar lights under names like Digitron and Numicator. Anita calculators are pretty difficult to come by, even on eBay. 
However, at least one company would be happy to sell you a wristwatch based on Nixie technology for the low, low price of $595, plus shipping and handling. It would be quite a fashion statement in the era of smartwatches. Surprisingly, neon is still used in some state-of-the-art displays today, namely plasma televisions. Each pixel of a plasma display is powered by atoms of neon and xenon, constantly undergoing a process similar to the one happening in neon lights. So, if you've been thinking about buying a fancy new TV, now you have the perfect excuse to splurge. It's for science! Thanks for listening to the Episodic Table of Elements. Music is by Kai Engel. To learn about some prominent neon art galleries to visit, the ignominious fate of George Claude, and which celebrity nerd proudly wears a Nixie wristwatch, visit episodictable.com neon. Next time, we'll discuss sodium. No lie. This is T.R. Appleton reminding you that you don't have to put on the red light. <laughs>